Number one means you're always on top. You, 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 you're on the number one. From the Property Investor Studios, welcome to the Naked Property Investor with your host, Kizzy Nakwacha. Kizzy is the publisher of the Property Investor magazine, Money and Finance, and Business Game Changer. Kizzy is also the editor of the successful property investment book series and the founder of the Property Wall of Fame. Every week, Kizzy and his guests provide you with the vital tools you need to take your property business to the next level. Now, meet your host, your mentor, and the godfather of all things property, Kizzy Nakwacha. Coming up on this week's Naked Property Investor. What COVID has done is that people who were getting a little bit excited, um, certainly in the last two or three years about prices and vendors who were, who were being um, over-hopeful and over-ambitious in their asking prices, I think they have, have um, yeah, they've been brought down to earth again and prices have become more realistic. And also... Do you know, it's, it's a weird one, and I don't mean to, to sound mocking, but a lot of the British clients that I speak to are almost in denial about whether this is going to happen. It's almost like, oh, yeah, well, you know, we want to buy a place in Spain, but of course they'll let us in. We'll, of course we'll be able to go whenever we want. And I feel like saying, well, no, you know, you won't really. Hi, I'm Farian Azim, and you're listening to The Naked Property Investor. Hello and welcome to The Naked Property Investor. This week, I have the privilege of breaking bread with Sean Woolley, founder and director of estate agency Cloud9 Spain and author of new book, From the Ground Up, The Insider's Guide to Spanish Property. With 20 years experience of helping clients buy and sell properties in Spain, Sean has become known as the property doctor. In just a few minutes, I'll be spending some time with Sean and uncovering his diagnosis for the Spanish property market. Don't go away. I'm Evan Maindonald, CEO of Melt Property. I'm Andrew Ward. I'm the founder of Solomon New Homes. I'm Kavitha Vipulanda, and I'm the director and founder of Valora. I'm Lloyd Edge from Oz Property Professionals. I'm Sim Sekon, MD of Legal for Landlords, and you're listening to The Naked Property Investor. Thanks for dropping in. This week, I'm in the studio with Sean Woolley, founder and director of estate agency Cloud9 Spain and author of the book From the Ground Up, The Insider's Guide to Spanish Property. But before we introduce Sean, I've just got time to say that Kizzy's Luxury Property Magazine is producing its annual showcase of the top 10 outstanding property specialists 2020. Now, the showcase covers all disciplines from commercial and residential developers to uh, design, finance and property marketing. To be eligible for the award, the specialist must work in one of the following regions, the UK, Europe, Australia or the US. For information about how to nominate yourself, a colleague or a client for inclusion in the top 10 outstanding property specialists 2020, email editor at klpmag.com. That address one more time is editor at klpmag.com. That's it. Job done. Sean, it's amazing to have you join me. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Tell me more about Cloud9 Spain. I mean, how did the idea for Cloud9 come about and what do you do that helps you stand out from everyone else? Okay, we um, established ourselves around about 20, well, 19 years ago. I've been here for 20 years and um, after a year of training myself up in the, the local market, I um, set up Cloud9. And at that time, you may remember, maybe not, um, 20 years ago, it was very easy to become number one on Google for a load of different search terms. So we 
were probably the first company here on the Costa del Sol to take advantage of the internet when it comes to attracting clients and their inquiries. And I think we've probably maintained our position um, as at, at the head of internet marketing for, for real estate companies over here in Spain since that date, really. And I think that's how we've differed over, over the years. Of course, everybody's doing the same thing now. So what we're trying to do is to, to keep ahead of the competitors by offering not only an easy way to access properties online, but also in terms of the quality of service we provide here on the ground. And now, of course, we're looking into into other things such as video, which is becoming a big part of our work. Um, so just trying to keep on top of everything, really, and how the clients are, are looking for us to service their requirements. That's the key challenge at the moment. It sounds like it's a constant evolution of the business. It is, absolutely. You know, we've... Um, We've gone from from you know, different stages of, as I say, the days when it was very easy to attract inquiries online, um, competing with with numerous competitors, coming in and out of different uh, recessions and 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 um, peaks and troughs as there are in any any market. And so, yeah, it keeps us on our toes. In your book, um, from the ground up, of which I have an e copy of, um, in your book you cover all of the key aspects of buying a property in Spain from choosing who to work with, uh, common pitfalls to avoid and how to make the most of your property's money-making potential. But let's cut to the chase. Sean, why would I want to buy a property in Spain of all places? Why Spain? Do you know what? I think it's the lifestyle. Um, just leaving investment and any potential money-making to, to one side. The lifestyle is is addictive in terms of I mean the way I describe it to clients actually is that when I'm in Spain I feel 10 years younger than I am when I'm back in the UK which is my homeland I feel 10 years older than I am um, and I think that sums it up really it's something here about the lifestyle whether it's the weather or the easygoing nature of, of the way we do things here in southern Spain it's a Mediterranean climate and lifestyle and it's known as the California of Europe. So it's known as a playground. It's great for sports and leisure. Um, but of course, it's close to close to most Northern European cities. It's a two, three hour flight away for most people in Northern Europe. But it feels completely different. You know, when I go back to the UK, it feels a little grey. Everybody looks a little grey. Everybody's kind of, you know, going through this treadmill of life and waiting for retirement. And, oh, you know, it just... It's quite depressing, whereas here the attitude is different, and I think that's why why it feels so different. So who wouldn't want a piece of that? Do you know, I know exactly what you mean, because um, we used to live in a small town called Paphos in Cyprus yeah. um, for about five, six years. And I remember going back to the UK um, for a holiday, for a break. Um, I could imagine a break from the Mediterranean. And I, I got off the plane and I looked around me, and I thought for an instant that I was surrounded by goths because everybody looked really, really, I thought there must be a convention, but that, that was normal. Yeah, I know. It is a bit like that. I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I mean, nowhere's, nowhere's absolutely perfect. And I mentioned that in the book. But when I go back to the UK, I enjoy seeing family, friends. I enjoy seeing some of the sights. I love London particularly. But I always look forward to coming back here. Um, I spent quite a bit of time in London during 2012, actually. Um, and that was a great year to be in England. It had, you know, we had the Olympics, we had the Jubilee, but I couldn't wait to get back to Spain. And um, it's weird because when you come back to a place that isn't isn't your your home, so so to speak, it's not where you're from. When you come back a second time, you actually look at it 
warts and all, and you you accept its faults um, on a different level, I think. And so, looking at it second second time around since twenty twelve, it's uh, it's become even more attractive for me to live in. Yep, that makes perfect sense. And you've you've been in Spain now for what almost two decades. So obviously, you arrived when you were what eight years old. That's it. That, that, yeah. Yep. Is that right? <laughs> I wish. I wish. <laughs> well, that's a five for you, Omi, okay? Um, t- t- two decades you've been in Spain, and you must have seen the Spanish property market changing so much over the past 20 years. What would have been the major changes that you've noticed? Well, absolutely. I mean, when I first came here, I remember buying my first place here, and it was... It- I mean, you know, it's like when you buy anything, isn't it? You always think, oh, my God, you know, it's so expensive. But actually, at the time, it was it was cheap. Spain was 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 starting to boom. The property sector was starting to boom. People, you know, it was the days of EasyJet and Ryanair. And, and you know, we were all starting to become jet setters, really. We'd pop along for the weekend to different places in the Mediterranean. And, and it just encouraged the... The, the, the use and the purchase of holiday homes, really. So that was the the first wave that we saw. And then, of course, we had the uh, the Peseta, um, which became the Euro. And things all, seemed, seemingly overnight, things became a little bit more expensive. Um, and then, of course, we had the, the 2008 um, global crash, which I think challenged everyone's thinking, because I think we all panicked and we all thought, oh my goodness, you know, the world is going to end. So let's, um, let's get rid of everything we own. Um, and of course, you know, with most properties sold on the, uh, the Costa del Sol being holiday homes rather than permanent homes, they were the first things on the list to get rid of. Um, so that exacerbated the whole, the whole issue. And now we've, we've seen kind of the renaissance really um, up until of course the, um, you know, the COVID factor, which appeared uh, in the, the second quarter of this year. So yeah, we've we've seen a lot of changes. Um, it, it's weird though because the market here is internationally driven. I think as Brits, we often think that we lead the way and we're the only people who are buying or selling. And of course, nothing could be further from the truth. Marbella is an international destination. It attracts millions of tourists from not only Europe but also all over the world. So when one country is perhaps down in terms of demand, another one is up. Um, over the last two or three years, we've not only seen the British very active in the in the market, but also particularly Belgians, Swedes, um, and latterly from the Middle East and the States. So, it, you know, being an international uh, market, it means that um, it's never down for too long. I can imagine. And hopefully once this COVID issue is, is resolved, um, the, the market will resume and to hopefully go back to what it used to be. Who, who knows? But talking about the effect of um, COVID, mm-hmm. um, how would you say, obviously the market's been on hold since what, um, the 14th of March when uh, you guys introduced your lockdown. Mm-hmm. How would you say that the COVID has changed house hunting in Spain? It's really weird. It's been a massive challenge, a massive challenge for, for, for every, every business. Um, obviously, you know, we work in a holiday environment. It's, um, you know, the area that I live in, in Marbella, Benavis, Estepona, it's governed by, by tourists, really, and their spending power. And, of course, people not being able to get here is severely uh, affecting the, the economic activity of, of a lot of businesses in that, uh, in that sector. But, the sun, you know, the sun is still shining. It's still a great place to be. And those fundamentals are still in existence. And what we noticed, certainly when uh, when the pandemic kicked in, uh, we had an immediate drop off of um, clients visiting us. Bizarrely, the inquiry level still still um, was still maintained. It might have dropped for a couple of weeks during the initial um, 
pandemic. But certainly after a couple of weeks, the, the inquiry level continued to be to be good, as it would have been any other time of the year. Um, the problem was getting people here. Of course, March, April, May, when most countries had the severest element of their lockdowns, people just could not travel. Um, and we, I mean, we could barely leave our, our homes, but certainly people coming to us on property viewing trips, um, they became almost a, a, a zero um, or a trickle. But it just meant that we had to do things differently because, this, you know, the demand was still there. People, the interest was still there. But we had to think on our feet and give people what they wanted, was, which was actually viewings of these properties, but via video, via WhatsApp. Um, so we were doing a lot of virtual viewings and we actually sold uh, two villas, one at 2.75 million, one at 1.25 million, purely over the phone and via video without the client even setting foot here in Spain. And what we found... Um, since COVID uh, became part of our lives, is that the first viewings now, that that sort of two or three day exercise that people had has almost become a thing of the past. So clients are now much more researched on their areas they want to be, even down to the you know the development or the, the street they want to be on. Um, so they're, they're guiding us with that. And then what we're doing is we're shortlisting with the client, maybe three or four properties to go and, and view virtually so we will go we will do video viewings we will either send the viewings to the to the client or we will have them with us during the video so they can ask questions and they can ask to look in little nooks and crannies of each house um, and then when they do come over uh, it's effectively what they're doing is they're coming over for second viewings so it means they're at a, at a more advanced stage of the process when they do eventually physically get here in Spain so it's it has changed the way we do things um, it's meant that we've had to obviously invest in good equipment like a gimbal, like a, a decent camera, although obviously smartphones now can do the job, particularly with their inbuilt um, wide angle lenses. Um, and we've, as I say, we, you know, it's, it, it's a different way of working, but it is effective and people are buying even through this, uh, this pandemic. Do you think there's a possibility that once things do resume to whatever normal used to be, there's the, there's the chance that, buying patterns will be the same as they were during the pandemic, that people will take it for granted that they could talk to you via Skype or Zoom or Zencaster or WhatsApp, that they can maybe get onto Google uh, Street View and walk around the street, that they can do a virtual property tour. And then once they've done all those things, they may then decide eventually to pop down and see you and maybe just sign on the dotted line. Would that become a norm? I think it will. Yeah, I think people are becoming accustomed to that. I mean, it's always the fear of the unknown, isn't it, with people that puts them off. And obviously, if they're now accustomed to doing it, as you say, if they if they can put the little yellow man on, on Google um, and, and take a look down the street and have a little look around the corner and see what's there, and particularly if they know the place. I mean, most of our clients who are buying here in uh, in southern Spain, they you know they know the area already. They've been here on holiday. They might have friends who own here, so they're they're accustomed to the the areas. But yeah, they're spending more time now researching on different um, streets and developments. And I think people now are accustomed to doing that research on their own with our help and with our guidance. Um, and then sort of doing a lot of work now from from back at home in the comfort of their own homes, letting us go out and investigate on their behalf and find the great properties. And as I say, you know, sometimes, you know, the clients won't even wait to come down to to look at them for a second time. They'll actually just buy one over the phone because they just can't resist the deal that may be on offer or the fact that somebody else might be wanting the same property. So 
yeah, it's very interesting the way this is going. It's a bit like the home working thing, isn't it? You know, like uh, where's that gonna where's that gonna take us? And it's uh, it's the same with property viewing. It's it's a different way of doing it, but we're trying to find ways to make it as effective as possible. I was talking to a good friend of mine a couple of days ago about the Spanish property market, and he suggested that this um, pandemic might actually be a good thing for the market because, in his view, I don't know what you think about this. Um, this pandemic, this pause in the property market, has provided the opportunity for what they describe as a much-needed pricing correction on previously over, overpriced properties in Spain. What are your views on that? Totally agree. Um, you know, when the market, when a market is going up, and the market here has been going up nice and gradually, um, you know, what we didn't want was a, a, a you know, a... Um, a quick, quick hit, and then a you know a, a bust scenario. But what's been happening over the last few years since the the recovery from the the, the financial crash? So from say twenty thirteen, prices have been cre- creeping up quite gradually to around about seventy eighty percent of the pre two thousand and eight crash level. So it's been a nice gradual increase in activity in prices. And you know I think that um, what what COVID has done is that people who were getting a little bit excited. Um, certainly in the last two or three years about prices and vendors who were who were being um, over hopeful and over ambitious in their asking prices. I think they have have um, yeah, they've been brought down to earth again and prices have become more realistic. So I think what we're seeing at the moment is we're seeing vendors becoming more more realistic. We're, we're seeing price discounting taking place. But not necessarily on all properties. And this is where clients need to understand and potential buyers and investors need to understand that, you know, there are markets within markets here. Some prices are already well-priced. Uh, so some properties are already well-priced and some properties, yeah, for sure, they're overpriced and they need a little correction. And there's, those are the ones that are starting to come down. And um, I think that's good. It's good good for the market. Um, but certainly the five-star areas, the good locations where everybody wants to be, they're, they're holding up quite nicely um, even at the even at the high levels. So, how quickly do you expect the market to recover with some price corrections in place? Well, the market's not doing badly as we speak. I mean, we, as I said, there's there's three ways that we assess our, our success in the market. The first one is um, levels of inquiry, which indicates demand. Levels of inquiry are are still very very high. Bizarrely, the last week or so, it's just tailed off. Uh, we spoke to our, our um, marketing company and they are saying that's that's prob- probably because the kids are back to school this week people have got that on their mind and obviously we still have certain restrictions with regards to travel and quarantine but generally over the last two or three months inquiry levels have been strong the second way of measuring the market is obviously visits and property tours and, and viewings those have been down but having said that the time when people could come over here which was july and the start of august before the the sort of second set of of lockdowns and quarantines we were incredibly busy but differently the the conversion rate um, that we had when people were here on the ground was double our normal conversion rate so it meant that our time was being spent more productively Um, and then the third measure of success is obviously sales uh, transactions through the door and as i say that's been that's been pretty consistently high and higher than than previously so when people say about the market recovering, in my mind, the market is still ongoing. Um, what this this pandemic has done is it split our our database, our, our client database, into two distinct areas. Really, one is, and I would say they're pretty pretty equal in terms of fifty fifty splits. You've got half the people who were nervous before the pandemic hit us, so they were always maybe keen on having an overseas property, but 
or, you know, weren't quite sure, a little bit nervous about maybe Sterling, maybe Brexit. And this has just almost killed them off. You know, they've become even more cautious and more nervous. But the other half, who were perhaps more positive, are even more gung-ho. And they are saying, do you know what? Yes, this pandemic is upon us, but life is too short. We want to crack on with our lives. That dream of owning an overseas place is still there. So let's just do it. And particularly if we're going to have to work from home, you know, if my boss is saying I'm going to have to go and work from home for three three weeks out of four, why can't I go and spend those three weeks in Marbella um, and take my laptop with me and do my work from there? So it, it's changed a lot of things, but um, it's just interesting how, how people are responding. So in many respects, the pandemic doesn't actually change people or buyers. It just makes them more of what they originally were. I, I think so. As I said, it's it's meant, bizarrely, it's actually helped us because it's meant that we can almost leave one half of our database to one side, which sounds an awful thing to say. But, you know, when when there are challenges in the market, it actually that means that, that we're helped because it means we can really devote a lot of time to the to the half that we know are still active mentally. You know, they still want to do what they plan to do. Um, so we're able to really invest the time in those people and to really help them. That's a great point and a very good place to take a quick break and come back to our conversation in just a few minutes. Coming up is our Naked Property Investor Book of the Week recommendation. Don't go away. Hi, this is Kate Brown. I'm a managing editor at Finder and I'm co-host of the Finder podcast, Pocket Money. The reason I think The Barefoot Investor is such a great read is, you know, there's a good reason why this book has sold more than a million copies. The book is a complete easy to digest guide that helps get your finances sorted. It helps you take care of personal finances with a really simple system that focuses on spending, savings and paying down debts. Plenty of us know what we're meant to do when it comes to our finances, but we still don't do it. And I think what Scott Pape does in The Barefoot Investor is he literally tells you what to do. So you don't have any excuses not to do it. He'll even give you an estimation on how long it's going to take. And I think it really breaks down that that final kind of barrier to actually thinking about making a change and doing it. Well, you've got to think about, you know, what's going to work best for you when it comes to managing your finances. There's a couple of really um, good takeaways, I think, from his book that I found really useful in my own life and I've seen other people use as well um, in a different way, but to suit them. So, I mean, the first one is being making money a conversation that you have in your household or with your partner, not being weird about it, not pretending it doesn't exist. You know, people often stick their heads in the sound like an ostrich about their money and they don't, they don't want to know. But the idea that, you know, you talk about it, make it a fun thing. You know, he suggests going out on a date or having dinner or a glass of wine and having a conversation about money. It's so important, particularly if you're, you know, you, you have a partner. So another great point is managing your money with multiple bank accounts. Create separate bank accounts with different purposes, such as spending or savings. And and actually giving them names. And so you've got a real sense of purpose as to what you're doing with your money and also having goals that you want to limit, you know, that actually you want to work towards. Um, He's very, very clear about how you need to eliminate debt 
and um, that is key. Debt, you know, isn't going to go away if you don't look at it. You have to tackle it head on. And once you do that, you're so much more free to be able to achieve your goals. And he also talks about using index funds for long-term automated growth. So again, for people that are, you know, new to investing, he gives a really nice, simple explanation about why it's important and what you can do to really optimize your finances. So I think reading the books is a great first step to kind of at least looking your finances in the eye and understanding it can be interesting, but most importantly, not that hard. And, um, you know, we do have so many apps and tools available now to manage our money online as well. Finder has an app that allows you to track all your spending, identify savings. There's plenty of technology out there, again, that could really break it down and make it simple. And I think just not ignoring your finances, the more you engage with them, if you know your money, that's how you're going to grow your money. So you need to, to know it in order to grow it. And I think that's why reading The Barefoot Investor is a great first step. Hi, I'm Mario Carozo. I'm the CEO of the Caridin Group, and you're listening to the Naked Property Investor. Check it out. Welcome back. I'm in the studio with Sean Woolley, founder and director of estate agency Cloud9 Spain and author of the book, from the ground up, the insider's guide to Spanish property. Uh, before the break, we were touching on the impact of COVID nineteen on the sp- on the Spanish property market. Um, but let's talk about Brexit because you did mention that briefly just before we had the break, Sean. It, usually, uh, under the existing agreement, citizens of the uh, twenty six European states are entitled to free movement in Spain without a visa for 180 days. And as we know, the Brits account for 14% of foreign home buyers in Spain, and they are the largest percentage. And I'm wondering, how will the market for property in Spain be affected by the very likely proposition of a no-deal Brexit? Yeah, it's a very interesting question. It's one that a lot of people have overlooked because we've been obsessed and consumed with this, this pandemic. Um, we've all forgotten about Brexit, really, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to rear its ugly head, I think, in the last quarter of this year. Um, and there are lots of questions out there. And, you know, it's, it's a weird one, and I don't mean to, to sound mocking, but a lot of the British clients that I speak to are almost in denial about whether this is going to happen. It's almost like, oh, yeah, you know, we want to buy a place in Spain, but of course they'll let us in. We'll, of course we'll be able to go whenever we want. And I feel like saying, well, no, you know, you won't really. I mean, obviously, you know, the thing is that... Switzerland, Norway, other countries, uh, European countries who are not part of the EU, those their citizens are free to buy in here in Spain. And of course, UK citizens will, of course, be able to buy here in Spain. So that won't change. You know, your right to purchase something here um, won't change at all. As you said, Kizzy, that the, the, the issue will be the you know, movement and how restricted um, their movement becomes. I think it'll be absolutely fine to come and... and um, spend holidays here and even a few months at a time absolutely no problem what they might do is introduce a a tourist visa for people who want to be here maybe longer than 180 days in a year but i think the real problem obviously is going to be for people who want to emigrate here um and you know that's going to be the challenge so we have already seen an increase in inquiries from brits who do want to make that change um and we were with a client last week actually that um 
was with a, you know, sat with a lawyer and the lawyer explained the procedure to them saying that basically what you need to do is you need to get over here before the end of the year, which of course is the end of the, um, you know, the, the agreement. Um, and you need to apply for your NIE numbers. You need to apply for your residencia. And if you can prove to the authorities that you've done that, and if you can prove to the authorities that you have a permanent base here, which uh, I understand can also be a long-term rental as a, a in addition to, to buying a home, um, then you're okay. As long as you can prove that you've done all those things before the 31st of December, then you should be okay and be treated um, as a member of the, the, uh, the EU as per the withdrawal agreement. If you leave it any later than that, so if you come over here in January looking for a place to to spend your days and spend uh, all year here, then yeah, it's not going to be as easy, if, if possible at all. It sounds as though then that there are these two opposing forces working the, uh, the market at the same time. On the one hand, you have COVID and the pandemic, which is repressing demand in some because people obviously can't travel as easy as they want to, to go and view a property. Um, and then you have, to, on the other hand, this, this, threat of a no-deal Brexit and a deadline that everyone's got to get their deals in place by before we're out of the EU. So, And that, I would imagine, would, in, would, would stimulate demand for property more than anything else. You've got, you seem to have these two forces work pushing in opposite directions. Yeah, it's, it's, it's odd. You know, it really is. And I think it's, it, it, is, um, it is a bit weird. And what we've noticed is that the, you know, the COVID, because it's taken over every news item in the media, it's just it's it's become the overriding issue at the moment, and as I say, it's almost as if we've all forgotten about Brexit. And I think it's only come into the the news headlines again in the last few days. Um, and I think it's going to become more and more prevalent in in the media um, as we start to to get to that deadline at the end of December. So we're expecting, whether I'm right or not, is another matter. I've been wrong plenty of times, but what we're expecting is that the final quarter rather than it to be COVID-dominated, to be Brexit-dominated, um, where we think we're going to get a, quite a few people, British people, who are suddenly going to realise, oh, crikey, you know, um, we, our, our plans are in turmoil. We're, we're, we're heading out of the EU with a, with a no-deal Brexit. But actually, we really want to go and live in Spain. Um, and they'll have a very limited window of opportunity to get that done. Um, so I think, you know, whether it happens or not is another matter. Maybe maybe most of the Brits who are thinking this way have already made their plans and they're either staying or they've, they've made, you know, they've made their arrangements or whatever. But I wouldn't be at all surprised to see a little glut of, of inquiries and tours and people coming over, if they can, of course, in the last uh, the last quarter of this year. Well, let's put that on the record and can we'll, f we'll figure out how that works out because we are getting very, very close to that deadline. Yeah. Um, Sure, we've got just about enough time to go to the section of the show we call the 30-second masterclass. Now, don't panic. What this means is that you'll have 30 seconds or thereabouts to sum up the most important lessons our listeners should take away from this conversation. Are you game? Yeah, go on. Excellent. Okay, 30 seconds uh, summing up. What should our listeners take away from this conversation? And the clock starts now. Okay, um, COVID is not going to be with us forever. We will be coming out of it. So if you've got plans, stick to them and don't let it put you off enjoying your life. Also, in terms of coming over and looking at property, follow your gut instinct. You know, if you've been right in life plenty of times before, chances are you're going to be right again. So in terms of working with people, doing things, trust your gut instinct. If you like someone, you trust them, follow your gut. 
And finally, don't leave your brain on the plane. A lot of people come over here to Spain and they get a bit excited and a bit overwhelmed by the whole thing and they end up overspending, buying something that's totally inappropriate or buying for other people. Don't do that. You've earned the money. Do it for yourselves. Summed up like a true pro. Sean, I get the feeling that this conversation could go on for a good few hours, but I've got a message flashing up on my screen saying we've run out of time, as I thought we would have done. Um, But I do have time to say it's been an amazing experience sharing this time with you, and I want to thank you so much for sharing your insight and your wisdom on The Naked Property Investor. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, my conversation with Sean has taught me that while we still struggle to determine our business future after the pandemic, according to Sean, it's, this isn't the time to think of what you don't have. Now is the time to think of what you can do with what there is. This is a lesson that successful property specialists like Sean Woolley are teaching us every day. See you next week. Number one means you're always on top. You're, 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 you're on the number one. Number one.